The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 16 and 27 through 35. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, and break their pillars, and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god." lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, 
and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Jeff Miller. I am the leader of the best missional community at Sacred City, Broadview MC. Uh, So as you are hearing uh, Ben's announcement about missional community and you're looking for one, we've got one for you and we'd love for you to participate in that. And um, it's been a good morning so far through our liturgy and through our song. And uh, I feel like what Joel already said uh, was good. And uh, just the reading of the scripture there was powerful this morning. So I want to quickly just pray for us and we're going we're gonna to drive right into our text this morning and see what God has to say. So let me pray over us this morning. Uh, Father, we uh, just simply ask this morning that you would open our ears that you would open our hearts, God, that we would want to know you more as we found ourselves in this place. Uh, God, it's no accident that we are here this morning. Uh, some of us may feel like we got, we got dragged along or maybe pulled along or uh, we didn't want to be here, but, but we know that you're sovereign and this was your plan for us to be here in this place this morning. So God, as we're here, uh, we pray that we would hear you well. We pray that as we hear your name, that it would spark an interest in us, that it would change our hearts and God, as we see uh, your glory this morning, may it uh, do a work in us. May we leave this place different than what we were when we came in. And uh, God, we pray that you would do this work for your glory uh, and, and has already been prayed for our joy. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So as Joel introduced uh, the song this morning, uh, I wanted to start in that kind of same place, backing up to Exodus 33, uh, just at the end of the chapter there, and kind of give us a little bit of a vision for what's going on as we push in to chapter 34. So at the end of chapter 33, um, we find Moses in um, verse uh, 18, kind of seems like he gets a little overzealous, gets kind of caught up in the moment of what God is doing and what he's been through. And he just says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, he asked this of God and, and we see it as a bold request and a big thing. And, and it's not a small request, but what happens is God actually responds to him in verse 19. And he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Uh, But he tells him, you can't see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So we see God is gracious to answer Moses and says, you know what, I'm I'm going to take you to this place and hide you and I'm going to pass before you. And he tells him, I'm going to pass before you and I'm going to proclaim before you my name. He says, the Lord. And God told Moses that you won't be able to see my face, but I'll cover you and you'll be able to see the back of me. And you can almost see in Moses this like Yes, like that's enough. That's good. And and I'll do that. And as we carry on into verse 34, we see that, or excuse me, chapter 34, we see that event begin to play out. So, so God hasn't passed before Moses yet. He hasn't been hidden in the cleft of the rock yet. And now we find what's going to happen. So God continues to talk to Moses in chapter 34. Let's read a little bit of the first, just four verses here. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, 
and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be, uh, be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds ga- graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded uh, him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. So Moses is given the instructions on what to do next. He's going to cut two stones. If you remember, uh, before God provided the stones, and God actually wrote on the stones with his own finger. But as Moses had come down the mountain in chapter 32, he sees his people there worshiping this golden calf, and the scripture tells us that he literally threw the stones out of his hands, shattering them, breaking uh, the the covenant that God had written, and they shatter all over the place. But now God says, you're going to cut two new stones. You're going to wake up early in the morning, and you're going to bring those up, and we're going to write on them, and and that we is is important for later on, but God's telling him, here's how this is going to happen, and we see Moses in the text wake up early, like he was told to do. You kind of, I'm a visual learner, you might picture, like, you just see Moses the night before excitedly, like, cutting these stones out, doing all that he can to chisel the the stone out, break it apart, get it to the shape it needs to be, get it ready, and he he cuts them, he chisels them, he wakes up early in the morning, kind of wipes the sleep from his eyes, puts his tunic on, grabs his new Birkenstocks, saddles those things up, and he's beginning to climb up the mountain, and he goes, and he goes to kind of the lookout spot, so to speak, and he, he stands there, and he waits, And what happens next is, man, I I can't even put into words. I I wrote in my notes just the money of this text, but I don't even know if that's what does what's about to take place uh, justice. So Moses is waiting, and then what happens in verses 5 through 8 kind of explode the whole scene. It changes everything. So let's read that this morning. So Moses is standing at the lookout spot, and he's waiting. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Now, this is really fascinating what's going on here. And if we just read over it, we kind of miss the pieces of what's being said and what's going on. And I want you to think about this, this for a moment. Moses has already been before God. He's been with God and he's received the Ten Commandments. Okay, He's already been there when the regulations went along with them. Remember, he heard uh, how the workers' compensation packages were set up. He heard what to do when your ox gores someone and, and how to handle that situation. He heard about the Sabbaths and the festivals. But none of those things ever caused Moses, ever brought Moses to the position before God that he currently finds himself in. No other place when Moses received the law did he ever bow down and worship. No other place when Moses heard the voice did he fall to his face. And yet at this moment, it causes him to do exactly that. When Moses hears who God is, it causes him to fall face down. It causes him to worship, the text says. 
And actually back up in chapter 33, we were told that this is what would happen. God told him, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. But we almost kind of miss that. And as we're looking at this, we're kind of looking for maybe some type of like pyrotechnic show or some big flashes and thunder and lightning because we saw that before. Right? When Moses came to Mount Sinai, all the people saw the lightning and they saw the, the cloud descend on the mountain and they've seen all this and, and we're kind of waiting for more of that. And as this cloud descends on Moses, he's got to be standing there like, this is about to be awesome. Right? And he's, he's standing there and God just begins to speak and begins to tell him who he is. And when Moses hears the name of the Lord, it absolutely buckles him. He cannot stand. He literally falls face down, 100% absolutely submits to this voice he hears and submits to the name of the Lord. As I read that this week, I read it over and over and over and over again. And I just kept thinking, why now? Like, why this? Why is this the thing that causes Moses to fall face down? Why is this the thing that causes Moses to absolutely submit his life under the authority of of God's word and God's name? And I was just kind of banging my head about what is it about this? Like all after all Moses has seen and heard and been through and walked through, why this now? And I began to just kind of think about what what is God really telling Moses? And, And God's telling Moses his name. This is who I am. And you have to think that in Moses' time, when Moses is alive here, names mean something. Even Moses' name, remember, he was given his name by Pharaoh's daughter when she drew him up out of the water. So every time Moses hears his name, he gets this reminder of where he's from, where he came from. My last name is, is Miller. So years ago, that would have meant that, that my family uh, was into uh, grinding some type of grain or working in a mill, some type of construction or woodworking, and that name meant something. Pastor Justin's parents gave him the name Justin, which means justice, and they were giving him a, a vision for his life, right? And he's, he's living that out, and you could see he does that. My wife's maiden name was Daniels, one who makes fine whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> there's something in a name. There's something in a name. And when Moses hears the name of the Lord, he knows that this name is unlike any other name that he's ever heard before. And actually earlier in the book of Exodus, we were told that when the surrounding nations hear the name of the Lord, it would strike terror in them. Just when they hear the name We see a little bit of this uh, later on in in the story with Rahab and the spies when they come in. Rahab tells the, the spies when they come in that when the people heard the name of the Lord and the great works that he had done, it says their hearts melted within them. There's something in the name of the Lord. I want to read it to us again, maybe a little bit slower, so we can hear the name of the Lord. Because when God's speaking here, he's telling Moses of his character. He's telling Moses of his nature. He says, the Lord, the Lord, you could change it, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth 
generation. Listen, he's saying, I am faithful, I'm covenant-keeping, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, loving, forgiving, just in all my ways. And Moses knows in an instant that there is no other being that is all of these things. And when he's confronted with the name of the Lord, he hits the floor. You see, Moses is surrounded by people whose name means something and tells, them, tells him something about that person. But when he hears the name of the Lord, he knows that nobody else is like this. No one else carries all these attributes. No one else can be this type of person. And he hits the floor. Listen, there is a sense here that this whole time Moses has known God, but he hasn't known God. He has had bits and pieces and he's been very close But now all of a sudden, God is totally revealed before Moses. Every detail, every attribute is revealed and known. Think about any earthly, any worldly relationship that you're involved in. Maybe take your marriage if if you're married here today. Most relationships grow sweeter the more you really begin to know somebody. Year five of your marriage should be way better than year one of your marriage because now you know each other. Your 10 should be better than your five. There should be more intimacy after 20 years than there was in 10. Think of your children this morning. When they were born, you thought, there is no way I could possibly love this child more than I do right now. But then as they begin to grow and do cute things and kind of reveal themselves to you, your affection and your love for them grows to a whole nother level. Because the more you know them, the more you love them, the more you want to be around them, the more intimacy that can be had in that. And when Moses hears the name of the Lord, his love overflows in this act of total worship. And that's what Exodus has been all about. It's been about worship. The ultimate priority here has been worship. And I I just asked the question for you and I this morning, what about us? When we hear the name of the Lord, what do you do? Where do you go? Is it good news for you to hear that he's faithful, covenant-keeping, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, loving, forgiving, and just in all of his ways? Listen, for, for a lot of my life, I've known about the Lord. I've known about the Lord. I've sought to serve him. I've sought to get closer to him. I've tried to do what he asked me to do. But if I'm going to be real honest with you this morning, I am going to be real honest with you this morning. Up until about two years ago, I don't know if I really knew the Lord. I don't know that I really wanted the Lord. I don't know if I really needed the Lord. I don't know if I really knew him. I was going to share a little bit of that with you. See, I recently took a personality profile test, and that personality profile test came back, and it labeled me something, and it, it labeled me the performer. You see, over the years of my life, I learned at some point how to perform for the people that I found myself in interaction with. I learned how to manipulate situations and relationships in order to get you to laugh at me or like me or want to be around me. And I, I came across as maybe this easygoing, comfortable guy. And, and you might have sat across from me at a table and had a coffee and just felt like, 
this was good. And all the while, that's what I wanted you to feel, and that's what I wanted you to get for me, and I wanted you to be comfortable and like me and, and want to be around me. And, and really what I was doing was I was performing in a way that made you look to me instead of looking to the one who you really needed to rescue you or save you. See, in my performing, I began to take on kind of the attributes of, of what I thought God was or what I knew of God at the time, and I began to be a faithful person toward you or a covenant-keeping person toward you or merciful or gracious and slow to anger or loving, forgiving, and I, and I tried to be just. And, and what happened in the midst of that was it really made me need God less because in my performing, I was doing a good job of, of what I felt was being God, and I didn't really need him in the midst of that position. But in my last two years of, of doing this residency that I'm doing right now to see if God's called me to be a church planner, I have been confronted over and over and over and over again that God does not need my performance, but he wants my worship. You see, he doesn't need me to make a name for myself. He's asking me to rest in his name. You see, just a couple weeks ago, somebody asked me if I'd had a gospel experience with the Lord, and all I could do was kind of stare back at them blankly, because the truth was that I haven't in a long time. I hadn't in a long time. And in this time that I've been trying to play God, I have failed more than I have ever failed in my life. And every time that I failed, it would hurt more and more. I'm struggling in relationships for the first time in my life, something I have never, ever struggled with before. I'm anxious more than I have ever been anxious, and I've never been an anxious person. I've been tired beyond tired, and I've never been that way before. And every time I would mess up, and every time I would fail, it would mess me up for days on end. Because my name that I created for myself was being ruined. And I hated the thought of being ruined. You see, God's been wrecking my life. Just chiseling pieces away. Just showing me who he is and who I'm not. It's hurt. God's shown me that he's been faithful to me every day. He has kept his covenant in the midst of me breaking it. He's been merciful, gracious. He's been slow to anger every time I've failed and, and forced myself to do it my own way. He's been loving when I've refused to love him, when I've stiff-armed him and say, no, no, you stay out here, I got this. He's been forgiving when I've repented. He's been just and what he's given to me, and what he's taken from me. And he's shown me that I don't have to be any of those things because he is all of those things. Every one of them. See, just a couple weeks ago, probably about three weeks ago, I came to the point where I said in my spirit that I am done. I'm just done. This wasn't supposed to be confession time this morning. <laughs> But God gave me a microphone. I said in my spirit that I was done. This was too hard. It was uncomfortable. I wasn't feeling the pats on the back or the attaboys or I was tired. I wanted to quit. 
I felt like, I don't know, I just, I just felt like rolling over and saying, enough. I'm just done. And as I say all that about myself, I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm the only one that's tired and worn out. And I don't think I'm the only one that's been forcing my own way. As I've talked to several of you in the room and as I've been with some of you in missional community, I I believe that there are a lot of us that are trying to operate out of the system in which we are trying to be God and we're finding ourselves worn out and tired and broken and busted and we just want to roll over and give up. Thankfully, God in his sovereignty placed men in my life that showed me my idolatry. That said, you're chasing after all these things in an attempt to be God and you don't have to be God. God in his wisdom placed me as the guy who would preach this text. Like, <laughs> that was not an accident. I tried not to preach it. I tried to just outline it out and give you a good Sunday school lesson. God and his graciousness told me through this text who he is. Last night I came up to my office at about 10 o'clock at night and I just begged God to just show me who he is. Just show me who you are. And as I began to read through the text, I recognized that I was kind of asking for what Moses was asking. Give me some big show. Give me some big sign. Show me all this. And as I was reading through the text, I saw and heard the same thing that Moses saw. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And I had two choices in the midst of that. I could lay down at his feet and accept who he is and who I'm not and find my rest in him. Or I could continue to try to be the God of my life and be miserable and alone and tired because that's what being your own God is like. It's miserable and lonely and it's tired. Think about you. You have failed yourself more than anybody has ever failed you. I have failed myself more times than I can count. I will never be able to say about myself what God says about himself. I will never be able to find rest in this identity I'm creating if it's not the identity that God has given to me. And when Moses hears the name of the Lord, he falls face down. He can't stand. Remember, this was the thing he asked for. God, show me your glory. And when God shows him, he can't even stand to see it. It wrecks everything about him. And in the midst of it, Moses realizes that neither he nor his people can go another day without the presence of the Lord being in their midst. This is what he says in verse 9. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, Please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take for us, take us for your inheritance. He's saying, God, we, we cannot go another step without you. He's really saying, we don't want to go another step without you. 
in the chapter before God told them, you can have the promised land. You can have this milk and honey. You can have this. I'll drive your enemies out before you, but I'm not going. And when the people heard it, it says when they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They didn't look at it and say, yeah, we'll take all that. That's great. They said, no, we can't go where God is not. And as Moses sees this, he says, God, we cannot go where you are not. When he hears the name of the Lord, he says, God, I need that. Our people need that. You have to go. And listen to God's response in verse 10. And he said, behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation and the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God speaks to Moses and says, this is what it's always been about. My people will worship me so the, Lord, so the world will know my name. And they'll know my name because of the awesome things I will do with you. Not because of how great you are, but because of how great I am. He says, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Older translations said, it's a terrible thing that I will do with you. The nations around the world around will hear the name of the Lord and it will bring them to worship through what he's going to do for this group of people. Listen, this is good news. This is really good news. You and I can stop performing. We can repent this morning and find our rest in God and we can rest in the good, awesome thing that he will do with you. Not because of how great you and I are, but because of how great he is. God goes on here and he's going to give some guidelines and he's going to tell the, the people about the, he's going to tell Moses about the covenant. He's going to restate the covenant with Moses. He's going to tell him something interesting. If you look at verse 12, I was, I was hung up on this verse the whole week. Verse 12, he starts, take care. Remember when you were a kid and you were going out and, and you, you told your mom, man, mom, I'm going to go play. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do this. What was the kind of the last thing your mom said to you as you were heading out the door? Like, be careful. Watch out. Make wise decisions. Right? Make good choices. Take care. God's telling them in verse 11, he says, observe what I have commanded you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And he says, take care. While I'm doing that, you take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land in which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. And God's going to go on and tell them, Tear down these altars, break down these pillars and these poles, cut them down. Don't make a covenant with anybody in the land. When, when they try to get you to follow after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, don't do it. Don't eat of their sacrifices. Don't, don't take their daughters for your sons. Don't, don't be a part of these people. The language is strong. Verse 16, he says, and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. He's saying, take care to remember my name. Take care to remember what I've done and what I'm doing. 
Take care not to make another covenant with these people you're going to come in contact with. Don't worship their pathetic little G gods. Remember who I am. The rest of the text, he goes on a bit here and he, he, he rehashes the covenant. He lays out the Sabbath and the festivals and, and Moses writes the words of God from God for the next 40 days and the next 40 nights. Moses is totally sustained by the power of God. Verse two, jump all the way uh, to verse 27. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, write these words for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you. So for 40 days and 40 nights here, Moses is sustained. Verse 28 says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate uh, bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets, the word of the covenant, the 10 commandments, 40 days and 40 nights. Now Moses spends with God. God totally sustains him. No food, no drink. Moses is hearing the words. God's giving him the words. He's writing them down. He's etching them in this stone and he's totally sustained by God during this time. And then we see what happens when Moses begins to come down off the mountain. Verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Y'all listen, Moses has been with the Lord so long that my man has a heavenly sunburn, right? Like he is, is glowing. Some commentators say that actually the description given here for Moses is a man with like horns of light beams shooting out of his face. Like, whoa, like you can't get that at Suntan City. That doesn't come from, from being in a box. This comes from being in the presence of the Lord. It's intense, glowing from his face, and Moses doesn't even know it. Know it. He's just been with the Lord. He's been, he's been writing the words. He's been being sustained by God, and when he comes down, the people see him, and it's just that moment of like, whoa, Moses has changed. Moses is not like he was when he went up on that mountain. There's something different about him, and so much so that the people kind of back away, like, whoa, other commentators have said when, when, Moses, when they see Moses, they're kind of pierced and they know that they haven't seen what this man has seen. They haven't been where he has been. Moses is shining so bright that they're afraid. They're afraid. Listen, they are face to face with a man who has been with God and they see him and their inclination is to run away. Believers, let me ask you this morning, has this ever happened to you? Like when you show up to work on Monday morning, are you glowing because of the time you spent with the Lord? And I don't mean that in some kooky kind of weird way that when you walk in and you're all just, hey guys, I'm here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real glowing about I've been with the Lord. Like my situation in life may not be great right now, but I've been with the Lord. Things may not be going my way or maybe things are going my way, but it's rooted in who God is. God's been faithful. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and all these things. And when people look at you, they see you and say, something's different. This guy should be really mad right now or really angry right now or really upset right now or really cast down or, or really just messed up. And when they see you, they say, something's different. Let's read on. 
verse 31. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. So the people gather close. Moses calls the men. He tells them the word of the Lord. He shares with them the good news of the covenant. He shares with them everything that God's said. God has not abandoned them. God's been faithful. God's been merciful. He's gracious, slow to anger, loving, forgiving, all of these things. He's just, and he's sharing it with the people, and he just tells them what God's told him. He tells, tells them essentially what's happened for the last 40 days, and we'll see that again play out as we read on the next few chapters. But then... Moses does something interesting. Verse 33, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil. He would remove the veil uh, until he came out. And when he came out and he told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him. So this is really interesting for us. Moses veils his face when he's done speaking. Look here. Moses was reflecting the glory of the Lord, and he would veil his face from the people so they could handle the conversation. He goes before the Lord. He's glowing. He comes out to the people. He veils his face so they can handle the conversation. They can still see the glow. It's just like a a, a bride and a groom, right? When your bride's veiled there in front of you, you can see her. You know she's back there, but it's holding back that glory of your bride, right? And when it's removed, the whole thing shines forth. But Moses is putting a veil over his face so the people could handle the conversation. But there's also something interesting that, that takes place here. The glory would also fade. So Moses would go back in and speak with the Lord. Moses would go back in, get a word from the Lord, and get the glory back. It would shine back on him. And we see this kind of over and over, back and forth. Moses would go into the Lord, get the glory, go out to the people, share it, go back in, get the glory, go back out and share it. And and you see, Moses was a reflector of the glory. He wasn't himself the glory. So Moses would constantly have to go back to the one who is the glory. Moses constantly had to go back in to the tent. Moses was only a reflection, but this morning there is one in whom the glory is inherent. There is one in whom the glory does not fade. Hebrews 1 verse 3, speaking of Jesus, says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Hear that. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. When we look to the face of Jesus, we see that shining. But we also see the exact imprint of the nature of God. What's the nature of God? Well, it's everything that God told Moses in verse 6 and 7. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger. All of those things. Jesus is those things. Jesus is the radiance, the exact imprint of God. Moses merely reflected. Jesus radiates it. There is a glory in Moses, but the glory of Christ is far beyond it. And scripture actually speaks really clearly into this. If you still have your Bible open, flip all the way over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
We're going to read more here about this glory, about a little bit here about Moses and about Jesus and what's going on with this glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look at verses 7 through 11. It says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now that can be maybe kind of a confusing language as as we're reading that there, but Paul is telling the people that the law was glory in its own way because it reflected the nature and the will and the character of God, but it's nowhere near the glory that's found in Jesus. There was a glory in the law because it reflected God's nature, will, and character, but it's nothing compared to the glory that's found in Jesus. And let's read on. Let's read on verses 12 through 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You see, Jesus takes away the veil, and, and, and by seeing his glory, we are transformed into his glory. Have you ever heard the saying, we are what we behold, you are what you behold? This is the best possible illustration of that. You see, the Israelites became obsessed with following the law and could no longer see God's glory in it. They were looking at the law as the thing to set them free. But the law was never given to them as the thing that would set them free. It was the one who gave the law who had set them free. Some of you may be doing the same thing this morning. I know that because I try to do the same thing. We try to be good people and we try to fulfill some type of moral code and we try to hope our good outweighs our bad and we're, we're trying to be God and we're trying to do the right thing and, and be just good enough and we're looking to the rules and the laws and we're saying, I could do that, I can be this and we're looking at the law to be the thing that sets us free and the law was never created to be the thing that sets us free. The law was given to lead us who the, to the one who would and who has set us free. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. He unveiled its purpose. Again, the law wasn't given to save. It was given to lead to the one who would. Jesus is the one. There's no more performing. There's no more hiding. The veil's been removed, and now we can boldly come into the presence of God through Jesus. Listen, the same name that Moses heard on the mountain that morning, way back during the exodus from Egypt, 
to the promised land is found in Jesus. The same name, the word that caused Moses to fall flat on his face this morning speaks into us, is presented before us and says, I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Jesus stands before us today and says, I am him. I am this one. And as you and I hear it this morning, I pray that you would stop and you would see Jesus with unveiled face and see him for who he is. I pray that as you hear the name of the Lord, it would bring us to confession and repentance. We would turn from our performing. We would turn from our working. And we would hear that God desires to meet with us in the same way that he met with Moses on the mountain that morning and proclaimed his name. This is who I am. You see, it may be this morning that God desires to do an awesome thing with you so that others will see his glory. So that others will see his glory. Now listen, just like Moses, we're going to get in a spot. We're going to start to feel that glory fade. And what you and I do in the midst of that is we go back and we hear the name of the Lord again. We go back to the presence of the glory. We run back in and we hear about who God is. We hear about what he's done and we get more of the glory. And we go back out. A long time ago, I promised myself I wouldn't do this. I I grew up Baptist, and in the Baptist church, there's always kind of three points in a poem and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. But last night, as I was hearing kind of the name of the Lord, I was reminded of an old hymn, and and some of you may hear it. I want to read just a line of it to you this morning before we pray. It says, there's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low, fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. This morning, may we hear and see the glory of God's name and run to it and rest in it and fall down and worship before it. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, I pray that we would hear your name and we would worship. God, we would hear that you are everything we cannot be. God, that we would hear that that you are everything we are trying to be and we're failing. And God, may we, like Moses, when we hear your name and the truth of who you are and your character and your nature, may we fall down and worship. May we know that there is no other name like this name. God, that your name has the power to do in us what no other name can do. God, wherever we find ourselves across this room this morning, whether we're, we're a performer or whether we are uh, just, I don't even know what the other side is this morning. God would, God, would you help us to hear your name and recognize our need for it and fall? We fall before you. 
God, as we take this bread this morning, would you remind us that you are the one who sacrificed your son for us. You broke his body on the cross for our sin. And as we take the cup this morning, will we remember the blood, the, the blood that was shed for us to come into your presence, for that veil to be torn down. God, today as we eat, may we do it with great joy that you've torn down the veil. You've, you've given us access to you. God, today, change our hearts because of your great name. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.